Hey there, future friends! This week I review some movies. I'm going to start in 2017 with I, Tanya, and then jump all the way up to this year with John Wick Chapter 4. This is Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show it has been a while yes i i'll be honest i just got i don't want to say depressed per se but just maybe disillusioned with the way the show was going and the thing the things i was talking about while the strike was going on and i just thought i just thought that talking about maybe indie movies i haven't seen yet and want to see stuff like that might make for a good tiktok you know something that's a minute or two but not for a whole podcast episode So I decided to watch some movies that are made by these independent companies, and I decided on John Wick Chapter 4, since it's from this year and recently came out, and I also decided on I, Tanya. Unfortunately, these movies aren't available on streaming per se. You can rent them. But the good news is that apparently the AMPTP is back in talks with the unions, so hopefully the strike won't go on much longer. In a perfect world, this is the last episode like this I have to do before we return to the way things were. But if this strike does go on, I'm going to try and watch more independent films to do reviews of them, and I'll try to make sure they're on streaming. But let's not waste any time. Let me tell you about what it is I do on this show normally in case you're listening for the first time and you think, hey, maybe I'll want to come back when the show resumes its normal shtick. And what is that shtick? Well, I talk about all of the movies coming out during the week. I break them up into two categories. The limited releases, that's any non-wide release, non-major streaming movie that didn't do anything to catch my eye. It doesn't mean that they're bad per se, but it does mean that I wouldn't risk going to the theaters to see them. In that section, I tell you what the movie is, what it's about, and who's in it. Maybe I'll give a thought or two, but usually that's it. The next section is wide releases and interesting indies, and just like it sounds like, every wide release and major streaming release, no matter how good or bad it looks, and all of the indie movies that did catch my eye. But remember, my friends, I base all of my judgments only on the trailer and anything else I can find out about it, because I am not a Hollywood insider, so I am just like you, I have to watch a trailer and make up my own mind. In the wide release section... I talk about what the movie is called, what it's about, who's in it, and then I definitely give my thoughts on it, and I give it a score, which I call the Billiams Interest Level Score, aka the Bill Score. That can go anywhere from a 0 for those horrible movies, to an 11, which is just a 10, but I'm really excited for it. That, my friends, is how the normal show goes, but while the strike is going on, we are not talking about all of the new movies. And I realized recently that I do really rely on this show myself because I had a half day at work, had to take my dad to the doctor. He was in the hospital over the weekend. He's okay-ish. <laughs> He's okay-ish. But um, I had a half day at work because we had a doctor's appointment 
And when I got home, my wife asked me, is there anything out, anything in the theaters that you want to see? And I realized I did not know. Because remember, during the strike, we're still supposed to be seeing movies and supporting movies because we have to show these companies that we still support the movies. We just don't support how they treat the actors and writers. But like I said, my friends, apparently the AMPTP is going back to the bargaining table with the unions. So hopefully that will end soon and I can continue doing what I love to do. But if what I've heard online is to be believed, and remember, anything you read online do take with a grain of salt, but apparently a good portion of the studios that are part of the AMPTP do want to come back and bargain, but there's like one or two holdouts, and I really want to know who those are. Because even though I love shows on some of these streaming services and love these movies from some of these companies, if I if they tell us, who the big holdouts are, that might really affect my future support of these companies. And I forget which company it was, um, but one of the major movie companies has lost so much money that they could have afforded to pay what the writers and actors were asking for for the next like five to ten years or something if they had just said yes to begin with. And that blows my mind how greedy greedy these billionaires are. But anyway, let us start with the first movie I'm going to talk about. And just to make it easy for everyone, I'm going to talk about I, Tanya first. Since this movie is older, noticeably older, about six years older than John Wick, I am going to mention things and not care about spoilers, even though technically we all know how it ends. I mean, most of us, like millennials and earlier, know how this ends. And I know I have some listeners in other countries, so maybe you might not know. But when I was watching this with my wife, she's from Wales, she had no f***ing clue. She thought that Tanya Harding was going to be attacked, and she was w- waiting for that. I'm like, oh, sweetie, no. But for the most part, you should know. So I'm going to not worry about spoilers for I, Tanya. We're going to have the break. I'm going to do a spoiler-free review of John Wick Chapter 4. Then I will give you fair warning... This is your first warning, but we'll give you one more warning that spoilers are about to start, and then I will go into spoilers about the film. So that is the itinerary for today. I hope you took notes, because we're going right in to I, Tanya. This is a movie from 2017. It's available to stream on HBO Max. Supposedly, I don't have HBO Max anymore, so I didn't check this. And you can also rent it on Amazon and Google, yada, yada, yada. This is brought to us by Neon, one of the independent companies, and it's about a competitive ice skater named Tanya Harding, who rises amongst the ranks at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, but her future in the activity is thrown into doubt when her ex-husband intervenes. This stars Margot Robbie, Sebastian Stan, Allison Janney, Paul Walter Hauser, Bobby Cannavale, and McKenna Grace, a young McKenna Grace in this. So, like I said, if you're a millennial or older, you probably remember when this happened. This is about the attack on Nancy Kerrigan, or basically what led up to the attack on Nancy Kerrigan, when she had her knee broken, and then it was revealed that Tanya Harding, one of her supposed friends and competitors, had a hand in this. Now, this movie was very interesting, because it is told, based on interviews with Tanya Harding, her ex-husband Jeff, her mom Lavana, uh, one of her coaches Diane Rawlinson, and Sean, the 
bodyguard who hired the people to bash in Nancy Kerrigan's leg. So some of this movie contradicts itself, especially around how abusive her husband was. Because what this movie shows us is a, a person who never really had a chance. So what we see in this movie is a young Tanya Harding growing up with an abusive mother. A mother who supports her love of skating, but who is still abusive. We can't overlook that. Like, nothing else can make that part okay. So we see her basically be a child prodigy when it comes to skating, but ice skating. But we also see that not only is her home life really rough, but then her dad goes and leaves. Like, apparently her dad never tried to stop the abuse and then just left her there, which is a, that's a new level of scum. Because we know anyone who would hit their kids is garbage. But then, I don't want to say the dad is worse, but really, really bad to know your kid is in an environment like that and leave. But anyway, then she's on her own and makes it to, like, high school, I think. I'm not even sure if she's 18 when she drops out. And then she goes and marries basically her first love, who turns out to be just as abusive, if not even more abusive than her mom. And that's a big part of the movie of her leaving him and coming back, leaving him and coming back. This yo-yo relationship that she can't seem to escape abuse. And that's why I have a really hard time looking at this as a dark comedy. Because if you look at its page on IMDb, and you look at the genres it's listed under, it's listed under biography, of course, drama, of course, comedy. Really? Uh, yeah, sure, there were parts of the movie that were some that were tongue-in-cheek, and you could tell that they were going for a light-hearted feel for some of it, but there's just so much darkness in this movie that I refuse to look at it as a comedy, even a dark one, because I think there should be limits for even for dark comedies. The Cable Guy, I think, is a great example of a dark comedy where it does get dark because you can tell he's mentally ill and it kind of dives into that a bit, even though it makes it the butt of a joke. So maybe not the best movie these days, but this one goes, I think, too far if they want to call it a comedy. And if you have seen the movie Pearl, fantastic movie. I'll do an episode about that one of these days. But if you saw the movie Pearl and you remember that ending scene, that painfully long look at the character where she's just smiling at the camera, there's a moment like that in I, Tanya as well. And it's, it's heartbreaking because she is looking at the camera. She is trying to smile through her tears. And it's so painful to watch. And I think just that scene sums up her life up to that point. So in this movie, we see Tanya Hardy not really getting a chance with the lower level figure skating people because it's really a popularity contest. And she isn't this well-coiffed like princess wearing all the best clothing. She makes her clothing herself or her mom used to make it too. Heck, to get a fur coat, her dad went out and shot a bunch of rabbits and sewed one together for her. And even though she's clearly the best skater out of all the kids, she never wins. And they straight up tell her, look, you're not going to win because you don't belong here. 
And that treatment continues into her professional career, and it's just f***ing crazy. But when we get to the Nancy Kerrigan part, if this is to be believed, if we trust Tanya Harding and what she says happened, if we were to believe that, we have to also keep in mind an interview she did about the interviews she did that sparked this movie, if that makes sense. So she did an interview where she talks about the interviews, and she said at that point, I had nothing to lose, so I laid it all out on the table. So according to her, the idea was that she had gotten a death threat herself, and it really spooked her, and it really made her, uh, like, off her game. So then she is looking at Nancy Kerrigan as her main threat. So what she does, and she has this idea of, hey, or maybe it was her husband has the idea, but anyway, one of them says, hey, let's give some death threats to Nancy to just f*** her up, and then you'll have a better chance. So they put her bodyguard on it, which is her ex-husband's best friend. But what they don't know is that the bodyguard is planning something completely different. He's planning an attack on Nancy Kerrigan and just doesn't tell them. So if, if we're following the story and we're believing what Tanya Harding is saying, she was guilty of basically just not coming forward the minute she heard what happened. I think that if she came forward right away, everything would have ended better for her. But instead, once they, her and her ex-husband found out what the friend did, they tried to hide it, which is the crime that she actually got in trouble for. So in that case, she's not really the villain so many of us thought she was back in the day. But even then, worst case scenario, this was a planned attack. She knew about it from the beginning, and it was the original idea. Even then, yes, that's terrible. She should have been punished for it. But also we have to keep in mind that she grew up with violence and she had violence in her marriage and it doesn't excuse what she did. But things like that are something we do have to keep in mind that, that so often so many things like this are a vicious cycle. That's why this movie is so tragic because no matter what the truth is behind the attack, her story leading up to it is f***ing awful. And if we believe her when she says when she did these interviews, she just let it all out because what is left to lose, then she really, really got shafted. Yeah, she did some f***ed up plan that she never should have done. Yes, she didn't come forward when she found out that their plan didn't come to fruition, that instead it was an attack instead of death threat letters. And her ex-husband... And the guy, uh, the, the best friend of the ex-husband got, what, a couple years or something? And she got banned from competitive skating forever. In the courtroom scene, at the end of the movie, she's saying she'll take that prison sentence. She will do the time that they did because to her, losing the ability to skate for, like, for a living professionally is worse. And I do wonder if the judge was a little heavy-handed. In fact, I don't wonder. I think he was. Because they couldn't prove she knew what was going on. They, they couldn't prove any of that. What happened to Nancy Kerrigan was a crime. It was awful. It could have cost her her career. Even though she did go on to win a silver medal. So in her career, she's won a bronze and a silver. But it almost cost her her, her livelihood, and that's awful. I think this movie was important because it told us Tanya Harding's story. Because the 
truth behind the events of the attack aside, her home life was f***ing awful from childhood to adulthood. But before I stop talking about this movie, let's talk about the acting and, you know, about it as a film. This movie was so well acted. Margot Robbie and Sebastian Stan, Allison Janney, those are names that should go down in history as some of the greats. I, I truly believe that. Margot Robbie has showed us she has such amazing range. She does such good work. And this is the movie that Allison Janney won the Oscar for. I mainly know Sebastian Stan as a Winter Soldier. Uh, my wife knows him from other works before this, but I know him as a Winter Soldier. And this, he, he was so different in this. And I know, yes, that's what acting is. People portray different roles. But it impressed me how much like the real person he was. Because if you watch the actual interviews, he did a fantastic job. And same with Margot Robbie. In fact, I read on IMDb one of those trivia things about this, so I don't know how true it is, but apparently Margot Robbie met up with Tanya Harding and talked to her a bit, and Tanya Harding was worried about Margot Robbie because Margot Robbie was planning on doing a lot of the skating herself. She couldn't do the triple axle flip thing because apparently there have only been six or eight people in the world who could have done that, or six or eight women, and I don't know how many like men are part of that, but it's some crazy move apparently. So it had to be done with her on strings and everything, but even then, Margot Robbie did a lot of her own skating, and Tanya Harding was worried about her and wanted to give her some pointers, and apparently they had a really nice chat. And I think that, along with the interviews that she watched, helped Margot Robbie do such a fantastic job in this, because the acting in this movie was top-notch. Paul Walter Hauser, I thought, I honestly thought he was just playing a character he just knew how to play. That he's like, oh, I, I can play this kind of slovenly asshole creep guy, and I'm just going to do that. But honest to God, watch the interviews with his, with the guy he portrayed. They are cringy as fuck. This guy is such a habitual liar. And Paul Wal Walter Hauser did an amazing job with it. This whole cast was great. And I even thought the film was very well shot. There are some wonderful shots that were where the camera's just pulling through the house and you see different scenes out of their life. So it kind of gives me this 1917 unbroken shot kind of feel to it. But all in all, this movie was really well done. However, I cannot look at it as a comedy because it's not a comedy. It is a biographical drama. And it just so happens to have a few jokes in it and a few funny scenes because it's there's nothing funny about this. I, Tanya is a really good movie. I don't know if I'll ever be watching it again because it wasn't as disturbing as other movies that I say that about or it wasn't as dark as other movies I say that about, but it's still, it's still a dark film. And I watched this once. I thought it was really good. And so far, that's enough for me. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot. If you have, maybe you agree with me. I, Tanya gets an eight out of 11. Without my future friends, I talked way too long about that. <laughs> I didn't realize I talked that long. After the editing, we'll see what it is. Right now, I'm already at the 20-minute mark. So let's, uh, we'll cut that down and post a bit. But let's jump into our first and only break as we hear a word from the friends of the show before we talk about John Wick Chapter 4. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, 
video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're We're Doing Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're We're doing doing fine. Right, welcome back to the show. We are now going to talk about one of the latest releases from these indie companies, and it is John Wick Chapter 4. Yes, it still astounds me. Lionsgate is probably one of the bigger ones out of the indie indie ones, but let's be honest, Lionsgate, A24, Neon, pretty big. While they probably can't do the budgets that the other ones necessarily can, I mean, I bet you John Wick 4 had a big budget. It did. It had a huge budget, an estimated $100 million. I had a opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada of $73 million, and its U.S. and Canada gross was about $187 million, worldwide $426 million. So please remember that the first part of this review is going to be spoiler-free since this movie just came out. Well, kind of just came out. It was released... When when actually was it released? Let's see. March. March of this year. So yeah, that's, that's still spoiler territory. When it comes to books, I know we're talking about movies, but stay with me. When it comes to books, there's something I've noticed. It's when you look at a long series, like we're talking about... The Wheel of Time with 14 books, or The Dresden Files that has 17. The further you go on in the series, generally the higher reviews. For the most part, the really bad reviews are going to be for the first couple books, maybe people who just didn't like the series, and thus those people wouldn't have made it to book 12, book 13, book 14, so on and so forth. However, the same can't necessarily be said about movies, because movies take far, far less dedication than books do. Books take a while to read. Even if you are a fast reader, it it still takes a lot of time. According to HowLongToRead.com, the first Dresden Files book by Jim Butcher, if you read at a speed of 300 words per minute, will take you 4 hours and 10 minutes if you read nonstop. And it's not that long of a book. So the thing is that even the... 10th Fast and Furious movie, which I just saw, by the way. I won't talk about it until the strike's over. But even that, what was that, two and a half hours, I believe? Far less time, far less of a commitment. But with John Wick Chapter 4, it was pretty much loved. Even that bag of distended anuses called Rotten Tomatoes gives it a certified fresh 94% with an audience score of 93%. That is rare. And just because, you know, I got a bitch about it, Fast 10 gets a rotten score of 56%, but an audience score of 85. F*** critics, y'all. F*** critics. But back to John Wick. That still says something, that all of these critics who have no souls still loved it, and real human beings that have emotions loved it too. 
that is a really good sign. And for a series that's onto its fourth movie, it's a little rare, especially one with so much violence in it. And the, the weird thing is I don't look at it as hyper violent, even though the whole thing is about assassins and John Wick kills so many people because it's not. It's weird. It's in this weird middle ground for me where John Wick is brutal, but not, not too much. Like some horrors, like uh, I haven't seen it, but I heard Terrifier is really bloody or even things like Wrong Turn or movie or horror movies like that. Horror goes a lot further with stuff like that. And John Wick, I believe, knows where that line is and it walks it very well. What we got in John Wick Chapter 4 was more of this world that we all like so much. How cool is it that there's this thing called the High Table that overlooks all these assassins and there are different hotels you could go to that are for assassins and there are different rules in the hotel and all these different rules you have to do. You have to be part of a family and whatnot that there's f***ing ballerina assassins and shit being trained. And it's just a wonderfully made world where you can have just so much potential. As of recording this, the TV show based on the John Wick series has already come out. Again, because of the strike, I'm not going to talk about this because it's on a network that is being struck. But look at how much potential there is in this. So when we last left John Wick, he was in pretty bad shape. He had gone through all of that shit just to have Winston, his friend and one of his supporters, turn on him, shoot him, and almost kill him. If it wasn't for the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne, finding him, or one of his people finding him and taking him to him, John Wick could have died. So according to the trivia on IMDb, this movie takes place eight months after three, which is how he is back in kick-ass shape because he got the absolute shit taken out of him across all these movies. And now we have a new bad guy coming out, played by... Or a couple new bad guys. We have the Marquis, played by Bill Skarsgård. That's right, Pennywise, the f***ing clown himself. Bill Skarsgård is a member of the High Table. I won't go into more of that since that I think could be spoilers, but he is a member of the High Table and is being targeted by John Wick because he's targeting John Wick. I don't see how these people... Uh, the Okay, so John Wick retired. Right, he retired. He went into hiding, kind of. Well, he just left the life, married the woman he loves, had this wonderful life. It ended because she got sick, and he was going to stay out of that life still. But then this piece of shit, played by the dickless guy from Game of Thrones, steals his car, beats him up, and kills his dog that was left for him by his wife, pulling him back into the life and just wrecks his shit, takes out this crime family. And as the movie's going on, everyone who learns that this guy crossed John Wick is like, well, fucking good luck. And then because his name was put back out there, this asshole in the second movie, Santino De Antonio, who, no, I did not remember that. I had to look it up, wants to hire him and is obsessed with John Wick. And when he won't go back to him, tries to kill him. So John Wick's like, oh, okay, you want some? I'm going to give you some. 
but you're going to be on the wrong end of my gun. So then this D'Antonio guy becomes a little bitch, tries to hide out in the Continental. John Wick murders him in the Continental anyway, which is against the law, so he gets excommunicado, much to Winston's chagrin, but he does give him time to run away. And everyone now is after John Wick, and no one could f***ing kill him throughout all of number three, which I'll come back to number three, but throughout all of number three, no one could touch him. And then so this asshole played by Bill Skarsgård is like, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I think I could take this guy out. How do you think that? How does anyone think that's a good idea? The high table should just have gone to him and went, you know what? Some of our people f***ed up. You f***ed up. Let's just, um, let's just call the whole thing off. Okay, potato, potato. Let's do this. We leave you alone. You leave us alone. Uh, here's like a million dollars. Go away. But let's be honest. If they did the smart thing, it wouldn't have gotten past the second movie. But luckily they didn't do the smart thing and we get more of these films. That's what I don't get about the Marquis, Bill Skarsgård character. Why does he think he could do this when fucking no one else could? At the end of three, they did a raid on the Continental with the official kill squad of the high table and they got taken out by two people by Keanu Reeves's John Wick and Lance Reddick rest in peace Lance Reddick Lance Reddick's Chiron those two people took out all these uh, this entire perfectly trained hit squad but no Bill Skarsgård is like no I can do this I, I got this guy okay really quick about three something that bothers me about this series is the naming so we have John Wick great a great name john wick chapter two great it's a sequel john wick chapter three parabellum okay we just made it a little longer john wick chapter four what no weird name attached to this one where did parabellum come from what's going on so yes is it, is it the biggest deal no not at all just something that i that i noticed that made me scratch my head but you know what maybe we should actually review this movie now it's more of the same i'll be honest it is more of the same and if that is what you like Come and get it, because it is good. It gives you more of this wonderfully colorful world. Gives you more Keanu Reeves being a badass. We get Donnie Yen and Hiroyuki Sonata in this. Both of them? Yes, and please, I will take that any day. Put them in anything else together. Thank you. Give me more. Like many people, I have loved Hiroyuki Sonata since Last Samurai. And... I am so glad that people are realizing how great he is. With Donnie Yen, I have loved him since I first watched the Ip Man movies. And again, he is getting popular and it is well-deserved. This is a great cast. Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Lance Reddick, rest in peace, Clancy Brown, Ian McShane, Bill Skarsgård, Donnie Yen, Hiroyuki f***ing Sanada. Scott Atkins is in it too, but... That's kind of like putting caramel sauce on your Sunday after you already have chocolate sauce. It's like, okay, that's cool, but I don't, I don't really need it. This movie has a great cast and they know what they're doing. The premise, it, it just keeps the story going. It's exactly what we expect. And like I said, we, could just, we just get more of the colorful world of the high table and the continental and all that stuff. If you at all liked the first three, no reason at all not to see this. It is a fun film. It is action-packed. It is never 
boring. Even in the downtimes, we're just learning so much about the world that it stays interesting. So even when they're having this scene with just people talking, it's cool. And unlike the Fast and the Furious movies, which I love, where their action goes into the realm of impossible, John Wick always ups the ante, but it's always plausible. I think he got hit by a couple too many cars in this movie, but it's plausible? Ramping off a nuclear submarine to dodge a missile? Not plausible. See, John Wick, Fast and Furious. Still both great films. If you have not seen this, watch this film. If you have not seen any of the John Wick movies, f***ing do it. What? Why not? What's wrong with you? W watch them. If you just don't like violence, that's fine. Okay, fine, I get it. I respect that. But if you watch the first three, there's no reason to skip this one. It is the best one since the first. The first one will always hold a special place in my heart because it was truly amazing. But this one, it just keeps getting better and better and better. John Wick Chapter 4 gets a 10 out of 11. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. If you don't want any spoilers, turn around. I mean, not literally, just pause. Because there are spoilers in three, two, one. Do you think he's dead? Do you really think John Wick is dead? Because I have heard a couple things. The first is that according to Keanu Reeves and the director, Chad Stalinsky, I think is how you say it, it's up to you. If you think John Wick survived, he survived. If you think he's dead, he's dead. But also, Keanu Reeves had said he would return for a John Wick Chapter 5 if and only if the director returns. Because he believes they can explain away his death. And that would be so easy. That'd be so easy to do. Like, he did survive, but he was taken somewhere by the Bowery King or by Winston and hidden. So at the end, when Winston and the Bowery King are staring at John Wick's headstone, they say, where do you think he is? And ask heaven or hell. They're talking, they're actually not talking about heaven and hell. They're talking about real on earth places and heaven could be this place for retired assassins and hell could be like a jail for dangerous people or something and they don't actually know which one he's in there's so many ways to explain this or they could leave it at this because i know what john wick 5 is being planned but the question is will it be a john wick movie or will it be just a movie set in this world because remember working titles are just that and it's not even technically a working title. They just need something to call it while they're talking about another movie based on characters by Derek Kolstad and directed by Chad Stelitsky. And either way, I would be fine with it. If John Wick came back in number five, great. I love it. Give me more. I will watch Keanu Reeves play John Wick as long as he will put the movies out. I will watch it. Just like I said, again, I find myself talking about Fast and the Furious as long as they make these stupid fucking movies I will watch them. They're stupid. I can admit they're stupid, and I can love every damn minute of it. And with John Wick, I would come back for another movie, either yes to see Keanu Reeves return as the titular character, or I would come back to just see more of the world in another film. And what I liked about the duel between the Marquis and John Wick, or actually Kane and John Wick, was how it went down. Because I was thinking that, oh, well, the Marquis has to die, obviously. And 
Kane is his second. So if the Marquis dies, Kane dies. Just like if John Wick died, Winston died. But I liked their way around it. And I thought that was really, really clever. How John Wick held his bullet and took the shot. So when the Marquis says, oh, I want to do the coup de grace, goes up to him. And so that way John Wick could shoot him and have it be all above ground. I thought that was a really clever way of doing it. Also because he didn't want to kill Kane. Uh, but then we have that stinger, which I think I started talking about the singer and then got distracted. <laughs> uh, me. But we have Kane, who's finally free, going to see his daughter, who he didn't want to speak to before that because just acknowledging her more would put her in danger. So he's finally free, going to talk to her. But who's coming towards him? Akira, daughter of Hiroyuki Sonata's character, Shimazu, who has said to John Wick, if you don't kill Kane, I will. Is this what's going to happen in the next film? Who knows? Are we ever going to get an answer to that? Maybe. I would love to see more of Donnie Yen. But did any of you see this movie? What did you think? Please let me know. Thank you very much for tuning in. I don't think there's anything else spoiler-wise I wanted to talk about, really. It, it's just a really good movie. And if you haven't seen it and wanted to listen to the spoiler part anyway, cool, I guess. But also, just check this out. It is a good film. Especially if you liked the others. My future friends, that is it. Uh, I don't know if I'll do an episode next week just because I really am having trouble finding my footing while the strike's going on. I know that the uh, AMPTP and the Writers Guild are back at the table, and if the writers make a deal, we know the actors won't be far behind and vice versa. Like, they won't leave, leave each other behind. Hopefully this will be over soon. In a perfect world, next week the show goes on like it always used to be. But if not... I will try to watch more independent movies and do a show where I talk about those. But until then, my future friends, thank you very much for tuning in. If you found me, if you've discovered me during the strike, I am so very sorry. I'm sorry that you can't or you have yet to experience the show as it was meant to be experienced with me talking about all the movies coming out during the week. Please check back in after the strike if this wasn't your cup of tea, but thank you for trying it anyway. And hey, if you are just a fan, I appreciate it. Don't forget to reach out. I'm always down to hear from you. But my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billiam from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future.